The Way Out Podcast, episode 223. I am what's called a bivocational priest. That is to say, uh, I have a, quote, secular vocation, uh, as well as being an ordained priest. Got my doctorate from Yale and have been a, a university professor uh, since 1966. Uh, taught about 40 years. And my field was uh, German, but specifically in that field, it was the medieval period and religious uh, German literature of the Middle Ages. And I published extensively on that as well as on um, foreign language teaching methodology. So um, I've done a, a lot of publishing. I was ordained to the priesthood of the Episcopal Church in 1974 uh, when I was in Hawaii at the University of Hawaii teaching. Uh, and uh, I've, as I said, been bivocational. So I've always had a parish assignment and uh, as well as being uh, teaching at the universities. Recovering Benedict is my sort of launching book into the whole area of what I like to call applied theology as opposed to theoretical theology, you know, stuff and stuffy stuff and textbooks and that type of thing. I want to write stuff that people can use. And it occurred to me that what Benedict was doing was essentially uh, crystallizing in his rule, crystallizing the key um, principles, the core principles, if you will, uh, of Christian living. He was a fantastic editor and he boiled it all down into if you will, bite-sized pieces in these small chapters uh, so that the monasteries could run in an organized fashion. And then you come along in 1939 and you have the big book published where you have three major people involved, Dr. Bob, uh, Bill W. Right. right. And uh, then this priest, uh, this Jesuit priest, Father Dowling. And it is absolutely, I mean, it's, it's an amazing document. He was a fantastic editor. And he boiled it all down into, if you will, bite-sized pieces in these small chapters uh, so that monasteries could run in an organized fashion. These are two, like, parallel documents. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. 
Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, we're truly honored to bring you a special interview with the very reverend canon Dr. John Crean Jr., an ordained Episcopal priest, professor, author, and now distinguished guest of this very podcast. Father John is an expert in religious medieval German literature as well as foreign language teaching methodologies. During his work, Father John struck upon an incredible document with roots going all the way back to 480 AD, written by St. Benedict. This document, originally penned in Latin during a very chaotic time in the Roman Empire, had been translated to German for female convents. Benedict had fled Rome for the desert due to rampant sin, debauchery, and decidedly unchristian behavior that had befallen Rome at the time and others began to join him in search of a more God-centered life than what Rome had to offer. Well there, he authored what's now called the Rule of St. Benedict, a guide for how monasteries should be run. Father John, no stranger to the Twelve Steps and the masterful work entitled Alcoholics Anonymous, also referred to as the Big Book, began to see that the spiritual principles embodied in the 12 steps and the book Alcoholics Anonymous were the very principles St. Benedict had incorporated into the rule of St. Benedict some 1,500 years ago. The brilliance of what Father John has done with these two ideas is to incorporate them into a practical daily reader designed to enhance your daily recovery repertoire. Thus, Recovering Benedict, 12-Step Living, and the Rule of Benedict was born. Father John and I explore some of the more profound and significant touchstones between the Rule of Benedict and the 12 Steps, which re-emphasize the truly universal spiritual principles of forgiveness of self and others, gratitude, discipline, and above all, love. So listen up. The very reverend canon, Dr. John Creedon Jr., thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Way Out podcast. Father John, why don't you take a moment right off of the top before we get into this tremendous book that you wrote that I am now officially nine days into introduce yourself to the way out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your life's work is, and then we'll get deeper into your life's work and ultimately why you decided to write recovering Benedict 12 step living and the rule of Benedict. Thank you, Charlie. Good to be with you. And, uh, I am what's called a bivocational priest. That is to say, uh, I have a, quote, secular vocation, 
as well as being an ordained priest. Uh, and um, in that order, I was uh, got my doctorate from Yale and have been a, a university professor uh, since 1966, um, taught about 40 years. And my field was uh, German, but specifically in that field, it was the medieval period and religious uh, German literature of the Middle Ages. And I published extensively on that as well as on um, foreign language teaching methodology, which was my second uh, area. So um, I've done a, a lot of publishing. Uh, the first, uh, my first book in what I call applied theology uh, in the Recovering Benedict is that particular book. And I hope to work in, uh, in that particular area uh, from, uh, from now on. Uh, in terms of the um, religious side, I was ordained to the priesthood of the Episcopal Church in 1974 uh, when I was in Hawaii at the University of Hawaii teaching. Uh, and um, I've, as I said, been bivocational. So I've always had a parish assignment and uh, as well as being uh, teaching at the universities. Um, so that's pretty much, um, you know, uh, my background. As we said before, when we were talking for the interview, I published extensively in uh, the field of uh, German, Germanic philology and, and those areas. And uh, this uh, book, uh, Recovering Benedict, is my sort of launching book into the whole area of what I like to call applied theology, as opposed to theoretical theology, you know, stuff and stuffy stuff and textbooks and that type of thing. Uh, I want to write stuff that people can use. Uh, I'm kind of a, a practical guy. Um, that's uh, more than being the, the kind of guy that writes an article that maybe 10 people read, you know, some <laughs> weird journal somewhere, you know. So anyway, uh, now the, the, the Recovering Benedict, um, one part that developed very interesting uh, from my research, my scholarly research uh, as a Germanic philologist, someone who deals with uh, early German literature, was that uh, someone offered me a, a rule of Benedict uh, manuscript from 1505 and told me that this would be perfect for you, the guy was telling me. And I mentioned this in my uh, preface to the book, I'm sure you looked at that. And that launched a whole area of interest in that as a document, as a uh, translation document from the Latin to the German. And uh, it was for women's, uh, women's convent, Benedictine convent, and it was very interesting. And I went into that field exclusively and never published anything else except on the Benedictine rule since about 1978-79. So that was interesting, but that also led me into exploring the Benedictine order, the OSB, the Order of St. Benedict, uh, which of course uh, St. Benedict founded. And uh, I became an oblate, which means like an associate of the order. Uh, And I did a lot of research in Germany and Switzerland and Austria in this area, and I affiliated with an abbey, a Roman Catholic Benedictine abbey in Munich, and they made me an oblate, which, as I said, is like an associate. And uh, so I've had a very close relationship with that particular abbey. Uh, and um, so it, what happened was something which occurred at a scholarly meeting, a national, international uh, scholarly meeting of medieval uh, scholars 
uh, turned into be not only a scholarly uh, path that I followed in publication and so on, but also a religious um, following too. Most of my training was with the Jesuits, um, both in the high school and the college level. And so I was associated basically with, with the Jesuits as, as my key order, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know much about Benedictines at all, except they were very good in music right. and, and liturgy. You know, um, So um, this led me down that particular path. Now, in terms of the recovery um, piece, the, first of all, I have to explain the Benedictine rule is it's a very short rule. It, there are 73 chapters, but many times there's maybe a quarter of a page is one chapter. So sure. it's very, very, very short. And uh, these 73 chapters, what is done in monasteries is that they are read three times a year. That's in the rule, that the rule is to be read through in its entirety three times a year. And that's done uh, in the refectory, in the dining room. And they read what I call a little snippet. It's uh, a little portion of a chapter. Sometimes it'll be a whole chapter if it's a short chapter. But generally speaking, it was divided into, if you will, bite-sized pieces that you can digest. Uh, I guess that's why they did it at mealtime, so you can digest it. I guess that's right. We we get spoon-fed. Literally. (laughs) In any case, um, so there are these little things, and if the um, the monk is not there in the in the refectory, he'll read that somewhere else, you know, on his own. So I was reading this through since I'm a scholar of the rule, um, very much from the linguistic standpoint. I was dealing with. I mentioned to you that the manuscript I first worked on was an F a feminine adaptation of the rule. The rule basically was written for male monks, but was adapted uh, for women's convents. Uh, And that was very, very interesting to me uh, linguistically. And so I was looking at it from that standpoint. And then I began to read it, you know, as a devotional piece of of literature rather than as a scholarly document. Mm. And uh, I was reading these little snippets and it occurred to me that what Benedict was doing was essentially uh, crystallizing, in his rule, crystallizing the key um, principles, the core principles, if you will, Hmm. uh, of Christian living uh, for those who are devoted and and avowed religious. And so he had crystallized from a lot of other uh, rules, other attempts at writing monastic rules. And he, he was a fantastic editor. And he boiled it all down into, if you will, bite-sized pieces in these small chapters uh, so that monasteries could run in an organized fashion. Uh, the history of Benedict himself was he, he was a, um, from a good family and in, in born 480. Uh, and um, around that time, Rome was going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, morally speaking, it was terrible. It was, you know, it was pretty wild. And um, these people were purported to be Christians, but they were, they were not acting that way. And so he literally fled to the desert. He didn't start a movement. And again, here, this is the 11th uh, tradition, if you uh, pick that up from the, uh, the recovery literature, uh, that they operate from attraction, not promotion. He never promoted, never promoted his order. He didn't want to found an order. He just wanted to have some peace and quiet, you know, and get away from the, 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 the madness. And, uh, but people heard about it, you know, and uh, they started flocking to him. 
And that's how the whole monastery thing got together. And I better put together something so we know what we're doing. And people were pretty wild in those days, you know, a lot of wild people going around. And so we have to have some rules and regulations. The genius of the rule, however, is that it is very flexible. It is very liberal. And that's properly understood. It's not a tight, uh, you know, document uh, where you're supposed to be wearing a hair shirt or anything crazy like that. It's very human, very humane. Uh, and I like to use the um, uh, example of the bridge. W when you build a bridge, you can't build it so tight that it doesn't have any flexibility to it. It has to flex you know, back and forth with the uh, expanding and contracting of, of the weather, et cetera. And <clears throat> uh, his, his uh, document was very much in that modality of being flexible. And you can see that. And as you go on to read that rule yourself, uh, you'll find that uh, these principles come up all the time. For example, I think the greatest principle, he spends 10 chapters about, uh, on the liturgy, on what psalms you sing, when you sing them, how you sing them, where you do it, etc., etc., all in the finest detail, which at face value is pretty boring, frankly, to somebody who's not a specialist in liturgy. Right, but at the end, at the very last, you'll find in the very last chapter, I think it's at the eighteenth um, chapter or so, somewhere around there, he says, "But he's talking to the superior, the abbot. He says, but if that doesn't work for you, set up your own structure. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's incredible. You know, if you don't like that, this psalm, use another one. Uh, if you don't want it this way." In other words, adapt, and he was extremely adaptive. So you have this wonderful sense of um, of the spiritual principles, the core principles of, of Christian living, if you will, uh, in that uh, document by Benedict. And then you come along in 1939, and you have the big book published, where you have three major people involved, Dr. Bob, uh, Bill W., right, right. and uh, then this priest, uh, this Jesuit priest, Father Dowling, right, who, who himself was not um, uh, in recovery, but worked with uh, those who were putting together this document, and it is absolutely—I mean, it's—it's it's an amazing document. It's not a confessional document. It's not a Catholic document or anything else, but it brings up the core, basic spiritual principles of good living, and it simply arranges them in a sensible way. So um, that's these are two like parallel documents, and I have been in, interested in recovery since around the beginning of the two two thousand two thousand and three actually, and as a priest anyway, you get involved in that because <clears throat> they are using your facilities etc cetera, etc, cetera, and you have to counsel people pastorally who are in recovery or having addiction problems what have you, right. and so any any priest worth his or her salt has to be involved in this, has to study it. When I was directing vocations in my uh, diocese, uh, my two prior dioceses, uh, I insisted that we have a course in 12-step um, spirituality for those people that were looking to get ordained. It was part of their education, and it's really key. So when I, when I saw this connection, I said to myself, wow, I've got a sabbatical coming up and a sabbatical leave in Munich. And I went to my abbey, where so if I'm a lengthy sabbatical, that's where I go. And I wrote this book there. <laughs> it could have been a better place. I mean, I'm in a Benedictine abbey. I'm living 
that life. I'm hearing the rule every day. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so there I was able to do it. And I, I simply had the translation of the rule, which I mentioned, and um, the, uh, the AA literature. Yeah. So um, that's how it all came together. And um, these seem to be disparate documents, if you will, but they're really not. And that's what I've tried to do. In my book, I give the, the daily snippet, you know, for whatever is on the, the snippet of the day. And uh, we're at uh, January 9th, which I read this morning. As did I. Yes, good man. <laughs> and uh, September 9th, it starts chapter two, which is the qualities of the abbot of the prioress. And so it's what about two, four, six sentences on the rule. And then I go on for um, uh, the rest, about a page worth of commentary. And in that commentary, I bring together the pr common principles that are enunciated by both. And it really, they really fit well together. So I don't know if that's a, that's a long answer to a short question. A couple of things, a number of things that I find extremely interesting that I want to follow up on sure. Father sure. John. Number one, I find it profoundly amazing that a rule and a set of spiritual principles that were developed in 480 are as applicable and instrumental and universal in 2021 as they are. Because as I start reading through these spiritual principles that are laid out in the rule of Benedict and how they are, are harmonized with 12-step spiritual principles that were laid out in the 1920s and 30s, they're still so profoundly impactful today in 2021. And the more I progress myself from a spiritual perspective, the more I understand that spirituality is in fact universal. And when we hone in on those universal fundamental spiritual principles that were as good in 480 as they are today, that's when we know we've got some really solid foundation for good living. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely correct. They are, they are generic. Spirituality is by its, by definition, generic. It's not what we say confessional. It doesn't belong to any denomination or any, uh, any, it, it has to do with the human being. And as long as I am making an earnest attempt at incorporating these spiritual principles into my daily life in terms of actions, as you noted early, very early on, my life's going to change. And that also is a very universal cause and effect. If I align my behavior and my actions and, you know, ultimately, God willing, my thoughts to these spiritual principles, my life's going to get better. Absolutely. And that's really fundamentally what Benedict was after, right? Absolutely. He's escaping the turmoil of, you know, Rome is literally burning and maybe folks in uh, America might feel the same way <laughs> right at this moment. A little bit. 
a little bit. Uh, so, and he crafts these very practical um, and very universal spiritual principles that we can live by on a day, daily basis, which is, as you related, exactly what Bill, Bob, and their um, uh, their uh, priest uh, did. And uh, as you related, the, the, the priest that helped them wasn't in recovery himself, but he was sympathetic to the recovery cause, right? Exactly. So, so tell me in your mind, what are those spiritual principles that Benedict laid out in 480 that Bill W. and Dr. Bob and company laid out in the early 1900s? What are those spiritual principles? Let's talk about those. Well, they're in the 12 steps. And the progression that the 12 steps make, the, the, the progression, the order is, is, is tremendous. I mean, you have to start out with uh, getting away from any denial. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a river in Egypt. Indeed it isn't. And, and so um, that honesty, we get down to yeah, that absolutely. honesty. Yeah, you have to, you are, we are powerless over our dependency, whatever that happens to be. You can't do it by willpower. And that's why these people who, you know, will um, judge somebody who is addicted to something uh, as a moral failure, it, it, it's completely off the wall. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. The will is shot. In the case of a person is addicted, they don't have free will anymore. And once they get into their uh, addiction, um, that's completely out of the question. It is a disease, not a moral failure. And um, so th that's key. And, and, and I think getting back to the, to the spirituality of the steps, um, it, it, it's a perfect progression. Uh, and the 11th step to me is, is really one of the crowning uh, steps. And I'll read it to you from my, slightly. The way I've written it is, I seek more conscious contact with my higher power, asking only for discernment and perseverance. Conscious contact. And we get that by our, our, daily, our daily walk, whatever that happens to be. You know, reading the stuff in the morning or reading uh, recovery literature during the day, what have you. But we make that conscious contact, connecting up with um, the second step. I believe in a higher power. I believe, key. I changed all of these we's to I because mm. I can only speak for myself. Yes. You know? And so um, this the progression of the steps and the fifth step, unbelievable. I mean, the fifth step is confession. It's the sacrament of reconciliation. Absolutely it is. That's right. And and you make that examination, the fourth step, with a, a sponsor or somebody who can help you through the the steps and so on and so forth. And um, so it, it, it the whole progress, it's a spiritual progression. We're going to screw up. We're human beings. We need to confess. And then again, the 10th step, marvelous. I continue examining my life. And whenever I do wrong, not if I do wrong, whenever I do wrong, promptly ad admit it. So you have this kind of recycling uh, uh, thing, which in the spiritual life, you have what's called an examination of conscience. And people do that 
generally at the end of the day. Right. So it's it's a regular checkup, as it were. So the whole thing is is just perfectly aligned. And if people would just, you know, go through this, it's, you know, I think somewhere in the recovery literature it says um, it's simple, but it's not easy. No doubt. I'm a huge advocate of the 12 steps. I worked them myself in order with a sponsor and it changed my life in a way that I had never anticipated that it could. I took a bunch of actions that didn't make any sense to me at the time, but I was desperate to make a change and I was desperate to get better. I didn't ever want to feel like I had felt at my worst moment. And it just started working through these steps. And I was also listening to Joe and Charlie and you know, I, I subscribed to the idea that it took Bill and Bob to write the big book and Joe and Charlie to explain it. <laughs> and they did a tremendous job of making the big book for me come alive. But I framed the big book and the 12 steps. And now as I'm reading through the rule of Benedict as a design for living, more specifically what it did for me is it cleaned up my relationships all across the board. First, it cleaned up my relationship with my disease. I had to get honest about it. My relationship with drugs and alcohol were a problem, and I was in deep denial, and I got honest with it. So the, the 12 steps let me allowed me to get honest with myself about my relationship that I was powerless. And then it was about my relationship with my higher power. I had to get right with the God of my understanding. I had to. And then I had to get right with myself. And that's four and five, right? right? And right. six yeah. and yeah. seven. That's yeah. allowing me to get right with myself, my character defects and reckoning Absolutely. with those and reckoning with those faulty patterns that were wrecking my relationships and then it was about my relationship with other people, right? And that's yeah, eight yeah. and nine. Yeah, yeah. 10 and 11 allow me to do that on a consistent basis. And 12 allows me to be able to carry that message and work those principles. So, so it's an amazing design for living that really does re-establish all of the key relationships I have with my life. And they were all screwed up before. My relationship with God was screwed up. My relationship with my substance with the substances I was using was screwed up with myself was screwed up with other people were screwed up and it cleaned them all up and 10, 11 and 12 allow me to keep them clean. And I'm finding the rule of Benedict is very similar that way in terms that it allows us to get honest with us about our human nature, the flawed yeah. nature of us. Yes. Right? And, but, and, and, but in a way which is gentle, um, Joan Chittister, I don't know if you know that name, Sister Joan Chittister. She's a Benedictine nun from Erie, and she has written extensively on Benedict. And um, she has um, uh, a, a similar book to mine. She has the, the, the little snippets and then her commentary. Um, and um, Joan, you know, I've read that book many times. I've used it for devotionals myself. And uh, as a linguist, I pick up on language. What are the words that people are using again and again? And she uses the word gentle, even as a verb. Mm. You should gentle yourself. Mm. And it's a fabulous. If you ever get that book, it's called um, uh, Spirituality for the 21st Century, I think. You can Google it. Joan Chittister, C-H-I-T-T-I-S-T-E-R. She's written a lot of stuff. And um, 
That's a key word. And, and, and she's really hit on that. That's in the heart of Benedict because Benedict is gentle. Benedict is not setting up some kind of a taskmaster rule, you know, where he's, you know, whack you over the head if you if you do anything. This, and in, there were these kind of rules, you know, in the church, uh, you know. And no they, doubt. And I think they, never that... last. they didn't last. Right. They didn't last because they were the bridge that was built, you know, super tight with no expansion. No room for air. Not at all. And so and a lot of people the, fell off that bridge, right? Exactly. The bridge collapsed. Right. Right. Yeah, you got too cold or too hot. I mean, right. I can imagine something like that in Minnesota it wouldn't last five minutes. <laughs> I, mean, nah, I mean, that would be a, a dead, dead duck. So After one Minnesota winter, that'd be the end of it. You know, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to pay those losses. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the um, that flexibility, the gentleness of it, and I think there is a real gentleness in the twelve steps as well, and in that whole thing because anybody in recovery realizes the fragility the frailty of the human being. We are not angels. We're not mm. supermen or women. Mm. And we have that, we have that, uh, but we can just dust off and, and get up and, and go on and start mm. all over again. Another thing I do love about the steps is that it's cyclical. You go from one to 12 and then you go back to one. That's right. And you, you work them through again. I'm sure you've done that. Absolutely. So you, you keep, it's an, on, it's an ongoing thing. And so it is with the rule. You read it through once, you see the dates there. It's so, you know, what you're reading now, uh, January 10th, tomorrow, you're going to read on May 11th and September 10th. So you, you're constantly coming back to it. And I think for those monks that are using it just in the pure state of a, a rule with just the text with no commentary, I think that they, as they meditate on that, they see other things in that, you know, they see new insights because it's a classical document. You read it one you know, one season and the next season you get another thing out of it. And, and uh, so anyway, I think they are sort of, how shall I say, kindred documents. Um, and uh, I think kindred insofar as they see the addict uh, slash monk, if you will, uh, as a human being. I really do embrace the idea within the 12 steps and within the rule of Benedict, as the 12 steps put it, progress, not perfection. We're just trying to do the best we can on a given day by applying these principles and giving ourselves some grace and allowing ourselves to understand that we're human, that we're going to screw up. And it is in the seeking. It is in the earnest effort and it's in the failure that allows us to continue to keep that conscious contact, which is so critical. Right. Absolutely. I agree with that 150%. And one of the things I've integrated in my own daily practice in meditation is to work on a release of resentment against other people and myself, right? Because I have the ability to be able to carry resentments against myself if I don't feel like I've lived up to either my own or what I think my higher powers, the God of my understanding, expectation is. And I, and then I, and then I condemn myself and I hurt myself because I failed. I 
got upset when I shouldn't have gotten upset or, you know, something of that nature. And, uh, um, you know, so I think we're hitting on something I think pretty important, especially in recovery, that we're not going to be perfect and that life isn't going to be perfect and I'm going to screw up. Right. In that, in that there's room in, in the 12 steps, there's room in the rule of Benedict and that's okay. Absolutely. Fact, that's what, that's what this thing is for. It's to help Absolutely. us navigate through those things. Right. Right. It's very interesting too, as you progress in reading the, the rule and getting through it for the first time, you'll find out that when uh, a monk uh, transgresses somehow, um, he's given like two or three chances before there's any, you know, any uh, kind of discipline, uh, serious discipline. And so that shows, again, the gentleness, mm -hmm. the word gentle, huh? And the flexibility and the openness. It's not like one strike and you're out type of thing. Um, and um, so there's that aspect of, of making room for human nature and for failure, uh, even in a monastery situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny, when, uh, the one thing that Benedict doesn't like and it comes up again and again and again in the rule. He says, above all, no matter what you do, avoid moaning and murmuring and complaining. And I won't use the B word on the air. But <laughs> you, 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 can, you can fill in the blanks. I can, you know, indeed. B asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> kind of type of thing. Um, but, but you get the point. And uh, the grumbling is another translation for it. Um, and uh, that that can that can lead to resentments and resentments as we know in the recovery uh literature is a trigger a relapse trigger and re resentments will lead you into a cycle of of acting out again and so on and so forth so that i think the resentments in, in the rule resentments are expressed by mon one monk murmuring to the next one you know the the abbot is a jerk or, you know, or something like that, or the food's lousy or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I mean, you know, they're human beings too. Right. And he wants that, that complaining to be rooted out. It's, it's fabulous how it keeps coming up. I mean, these things as a linguist strike me, you know, and I'm looking at oh, that, that again, you know, there's, there's that thing, but it's, it's, it's a very good point, I think. But that really does speak to, in my mind, the gratitude, the principle of gratitude and the practice of gratitude and also the practice of forgiveness. If somebody transgresses against me, I have two choices, right? I can yeah. grumble and I can murmur. I can that so-and-so, how, how dare they cut me off or <laughs> say that or whatever it is. And I can hold that resentment. I mean, boy, boy, was I good at collecting resentments prior to recovery. And I still, it's one of the things I have to work on the hardest in recovery is not collecting those resentments and not allowing myself to become ungrateful. They, they accumulate. You're saying collecting, that's true. You know, you might not express it, but mentally you, you chalk it up. So this person is a jerk or they've done this or they've done that. And uh, you may not even articulate them, but at some point they're going to explode into some kind of acting out. Absolutely. In 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 that's exactly it. It becomes this critical mass at some point. In in the world didn't change. It feels like that my children are the problem. It feels like my boss is the problem. It feels like the mm -hmm. world is the problem. But really, what changed, Father John, was me. 
That's what changed. Because I decided that I was going to stop practicing forgiveness, stop practicing gratitude, start collecting those resentments. And at some point, Mm -hmm. that's it. I either need to numb it with some sort of behavior or substance. Self-medicate. Self-medicate it. Or freak out, <laughs> right? It's another connection point, which I hadn't seen before, actually, before we talked, between the rule and the um, the 12 steps, uh, is that whole thing uh, about collecting these things. And, um, yeah, and particularly, I think, in a monastic setting, because there's a lot of silence. Uh, I mean, that's part of the, the part of the gig, you know? I mean, you, you have work to do, et cetera, et cetera. But in between, um, there's there's no talking. There's, you know, you're you're more in, in touch with the Lord by right. shutting up and listening to God when, when God's going to talk. So um, it, it's very interesting. I mean, I think the more I talk about this in various interviews, I find more flashpoints, more connecting points, which um, which, are, which are fabulous. But I think it boils down to a very simple thing. I think Benedict, he was not. Um, I mean, the church in, in his day. Was it was was going nuts? I mean, yeah. uh, Rome and everybody was supposedly a Christian and all that, but they weren't practicing. They were they were they were acting weird and and crazy, uh, and he had to he had to for his own sanity he had to leave the scene, disconnect. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was it was an occasion for for sin. He wasn't going to get sucked into it, uh, and. Um, so and the silence therefore became a great part of his life, and we even have some monastics. You'll you'll read this as you go on in the in the various types of monastics. I think it's coming up fairly soon in here, um, where you have the, the types that uh, are become hermits, which is fine. It's the second type. Yeah, and 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 the ceno the fancy word is cenobit cenobites uh, cenobitic, which simply means they live in community. But some of them then have the vocation, specialized vocation, to go and to be hermits, to live by themselves. For example, Thomas Merton is one. Thomas Merton got special permission uh, from his Cistercian Abbey, uh, abbot that he could live outside of community in a special. Most people know about Thomas Merton's stuff. And he lived in his own little uh, house on the property. But silence was key, you know. And, and um, I think silence is, is a great healing tool for us you know and in, you spoke about your morning meditation and, and stuff you have that silence where we stop the the incessant flow of words that we usually produce mm. and listen for you know the higher power to speak to us and um so anyway they really they really come together the two the two strands here and i uh, i really enjoyed writing this book i i have to say it was um I actually finished the manuscript in, I think, 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I couldn't get it published before before 2020. And the reason was it was two. Um, we we had a, a recovery side and we had a religion side. Right. And the, I, I went to religious publishers. Oh, we don't do recovery work. I went <laughs> to recovery. And they said, well, we, it's too religious, you know. So, I mean, give me a break, you know. But when, when you, when you do stuff that's interdisciplinary, like that's right. that's a natural response. But thanks be to God, um, Church Publishing, which is our Episcopal publishing house in New York, was happy to get it. So um, 
uh, I was I was delighted to be able to uh, to produce it. And for me, I really think this manifestation where we have the principles of the 12 steps really fused with this Benedictine rule, not only does it mirror your own path as you pursued your secular study and work, and then ultimately, you know, aligning with the, your theology, you know, the theology piece and really, you know, that coming into this Benedictine rule and how, um, compatible it is with the principles of the 12 steps. Father John, what what surprised you the most as you were working through this and putting this book together? What surprised you the most about mm. the process of putting this together as you were really deep into the 12-step principles and the Benedictine rule? Well, it was a work of meditation for myself. Here I am sitting in a, in a Benedictine abbey Mm-hmm. living a life of, you know, a visiting monk, if you will. And I'm reading these snippets from the rule, and I'm asking our Lord, what, what are you saying to me in here? What, what, am I, what am I to pick up on? Because there's all kinds of spiritual nuggets in any piece that you read. And something classical like that, as I mentioned before, you're going to have these see new nuggets every time you look at it. So it was what the Lord was telling me at the time, and, and what the Lord was was saying, hey, this connects up with the 12-step work, connects up with the big book and the literature, the recovery literature. Uh, and um, so um, it was it was a it was a work of, of it was essentially a spiritual journal journal. It was essentially uh, recovery reflections uh, you know inspired by each daily snippet. And um, so it's my own, it's my own journal. I mean, I'm pretty, uh, pretty open in there about, you know, my participation. Uh, right. Having a sponsor of going to meetings regularly, having a home meeting. And I was new in recovery at the time when I, when I first um, uh, worked on this. Um, and, uh, but I couldn't wait to, to work on this. And I must have had an intuitive sense that that there was a, um, a connection between the rule and the, the literature. Uh, and conveniently, the, I had a sabbatical, it was, just came up and uh, had the place, the time, and it just sort of came together. Um, and it, so it's essentially my own spiritual journal. But I try to not make it too, you know, oriented to me alone. I try to make it to more generic uh, to those in the program and, and those who are seeking to um seeking wholeness what do you think benedict would think about the 12 steps i think he'd love them i think he'd love them i think he'd he'd see um he'd see another way another allied another parallel method uh, whereby people can come to wholeness where the human the human creature can can be restored when when one is disturbed and when one's mm. equilibrium is uh, disturbed and out of balance. Mm. What I've come to understand, Father John, is when I was engaging in substances regularly in my active alcoholism and, and addiction, what I was doing is I was settling what I really wanted and what I really craved and what, what I 
deeply needed was a spiritual connection and some universal principles that I could live by. That's what I really, really needed and some discipline in my life. That's what I needed. What I settled for was drugs and alcohol and other addictive behaviors. And because I didn't Mm. know any better, I didn't have the tools to be able to get to where I really needed to be. And I still am, am capable of settling for something else, whether that be you know, food or whatever it is, right? But these 12 steps and the principles have allowed me to understand that that's what that is. That ultimately what I really need is I need spiritual connection and balance so I can get whole again. I'm a higher power is where that's at. And, I, and and the community piece that we that you see within the rule of Benedict, talking about that community of the Benedictine monks is very similar in my mind to the recovery community and having to connect because I hear my higher power through other people if I'm listening. If I'm truly listening, that's my higher power does speak through other people. Right. Absolutely. And that's another reason why we respect meetings, no crosstalk and no uh, interrupting and stuff. We're, we need to be better listeners. It's a, it's, a, it's the most difficult skill for people. They, you know, they don't listen. They, they speak. Somebody said there was had to be a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. <laughs> <laughs> My sponsor told me that. Is that right? He did. Yeah. I, I don't know what that would, how you spin that out with two nostrils or I, I don't know. <laughs> you could probably do an interesting satire on it. But, it. but it is true. And, and, and that is part of the discipline. Uh, it's part of the discipline of monastic life. Um, in the rule, there is one a statement, and you, you'll read it. And I, I, I remember it in Latin, in multiloquio non effugius peccatum, in uh, lots of talking, it's, it's not going to help you escape sin. <laughs> mm. You can't talk your way out. You can't, you can't filibuster and avoid sin. You know? so it's, it's, it's fabulous when, when it comes up. But, um, and that's in this, because I love that, Father John, for a couple of reasons. Previous attempts at recovery, I never worked the steps and I never listened to other people. I was just waiting to talk and to wax poetically about steps that I had no intention of working. So that people would believe that, you know, I had this thing, you know, licked. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't really interested in doing any real work. Right. And when I came in to the program six years ago, just over six years ago, Mm. I really heard people for the very first time I heard them, I was listening. And that really was the inspiration for this podcast because I really truly heard people's stories for the first time Mm -hmm. and they made a profound impact on me Mm -hmm. because I identified with these people and I, I wasn't identifying with anybody at previous attempts because I wasn't listening to them. I was, you know, what the first word of Benedict. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt Charlie. Go ahead. I was going to say the first word of Benedict's rule is listen. 
Obsculta mm. in Latin, which is a fancy word for listen and listen deeply. Mm. Listen, my son. Listen, my daughter. Very interesting. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm sorry, but it, no, I, I think that is tremendous because that listening allows us to be able to identify with others and connect with others. And that's when I understood that there was other people that had done what I had done, felt what I had felt, thought what I had thought, and they had gotten better. And that's when I understood that maybe I could get better too. It's critical, right? And I feel the same way about meditation and doing in, in, in the meditative works that I read daily. That is a form of listening, right? Both in the meditation and in, in these in the devotionals. That's listening, right? It is. It is, and I find it very helpful. It's the second part of my morning routine first morning part of the routine is the uh, uh the office of readings that that priests uh, and, and religious read um the uh, liturgy of the hours i read or offer or office of readings and uh, morning prayer and that's out of the breviary or the you know set book and then i do my devotionals and i have any number of them um this life recovery devotional which is fabulous i don't know if you know that one i do not Life recovery. Oh yeah, that's marvelous. The nice thing about that is it's it's a daily reader, uh, and uh, it starts off with January, of course, and that's the first step. You know, twelve months and twelve steps. It's Isn't perfect. that something? So it reminds you at the time. Yeah, it's fabulous. The, the only thing is, for some reason, these people only go to thirty. They don't give any thirty ones. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of weird in itself. I mean, they could have stuck in an extra day, you know. <laughs> but but it's 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 very brief, and it's uh, Stephen Arterburn is is one of the uh, authors. A R T E R B U R N. It's called um, yeah, Life Recovery Devotional. I guess yeah, L R D. Anyway, it's um, it's marvelous, and you know a lot of the other ones too, the standard ones. But the reg that's a regularity. That's another regula. It's another part of, of, of regularity. The word regula means rule in Latin. Hmm. And so that's it, it regulates your life to have to have a set pattern like that where you, you don't just know do it when you feel like it. You know, sometimes we don't feel like it, you know, we'd rather do something else. But if we just stick to it, you know, it works. And that speaks to the discipline piece for me as well. Right. I do it even though I don't want to. Right, I know. Sometimes. And sometimes, sometimes I do want feel... to, and sometimes I don't, yeah. right? <laughs> but, exactly. Right. We all, this, we're all in the same boat with that. Yeah. Sometimes right. I don't want to stay in my office. I want to drink coffee or, or you know, watch TV or something else. And, um, but again, God is flexible. God loves us. You know, God's a lot easier on us than we are ourselves. You know, I think, I think God is, is uh, you know, he's sort of whispering in one ear, you know, hey, take it easy. You know, I love you. You know, I created you. Don't. Don't be so rough on yourself. You know, a Jones word, you know, gentle yourself. I love, oh, I love isn't that. That's something yeah, I love Jones. that. Using, yes. using an adjective, mm. gentle, and creating it into a verb. I never heard that done. And, uh, but it, it's, it's true. We, we really are. And, and I think um, a good confessor, if, if one is, uh, you know, a, a sacrament of reconciliation, formally getting, going to confession or, even in a, a good sponsor, somebody who's helping you work through four and five, um, 
you want that gentleness. You not want somebody who's going to come down and say, you did what? I had a, a very saintly aunt once, and she went to confession. We were all going to confession for some reason. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. And uh, she went to the confession, and she was very saintly. I mean, she mass every day and everything else. And she went to the confession, and she came out, and she says, the priest told me I was going to land in hell. <laughs> give me a break you know what I mean? <laughs> wow but, you know, that was that was 100 years ago though but anyway, <laughs> anyway that might be in my mind father john the biggest piece of spiritual truth and wisdom really that's come out of our discussion here is that god ultimately loves us in gives us grace and compassion and forgiveness and really does look down on us like we do loving to our children, you know, or, you know, a puppy that gets into trouble, <laughs> sort of. I kind of think about that too sometimes, the way that my higher power, my, the God of my understanding looks at me sometimes like a like a puppy that doesn't know any better sometimes and just gets into trouble. Yeah, he wasn't supposed to chew that couch, but, you know, <laughs> you know that's what yes. happens. Yeah, you know, puppies true. do that, right? And he yeah. kind of looks at us humans and, you know, well, they're human after all, you know. <laughs> it's very true. Um, when you were talking there, I thought to myself, I think God gives us the ultimate get out of jail free card. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and, um, you know, the from the Bible standpoint, from theology, we don't have to believe that anybody is in hell, anybody other than the devil. Mm. You know? And that's somebody once said, he's the only one you really can tell to go to hell. <laughs> and the other piece that i pick up in here is this getting back down to that ultimate principle of living in love that ultimately that's what my higher power wants me to do is to center myself in the love of god and then the love and and, and really acting in love to my fellow brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. Absolutely. And if I'm centering my actions in, in love and in a spiritual love. Absolutely. Uh, somewhere in the rule, Benedict uh, tells the monks to expand your heart. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful expression. The heart is the center of love and, and openness toward one another. Expand your heart, broaden your heart. Mm, I love it. This has been so great, Father John. Thank you so much for the time and for coming on to let us learn a little bit more about your work and the rule of Benedict and how that applies so directly to those of us who are working the 12 steps on a day in and day out basis, because it really does add another dimension. And, and for me, it's this as if I needed any more. Another validation point of the universal nature of the spiritual principles that are embodied within the 12 steps. There's a lot of weight behind these principles. Exactly. Thank you so much, Father John, 
for being here with us on the Way Out podcast. If you want to reach out to Father John, you can email the show at share at wayoutcast.com and I will make sure Father John gets the message. We will absolutely have a link to the book, Recovering Benedict, 12-Step Living and the Rule of Benedict. You mentioned a couple of other books here as well. We'll have the links to those as well. I was taking notes. I got a full page of notes here. I was taking notes. So we'll have oh, the good. links. I really have enjoyed this. Yeah, I did yeah. too. I did you too, Father John. Thank you so much. Yeah, very enjoyable, Charlie. And uh, God bless you and your ministry of, uh, of reaching out to people. I'm glad you started this uh, program. And uh, I know that our Lord will bless it as the days go on. That means a lot to me, Father John. Thank you, everybody, in Way Out Podcast land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.